0: Well, guys, we started a series several weeks back where we have been addressing our character. And our focus in this series is really to develop godly um, character in our lives. And, and to do that, whether we like it or not, we're going to have to do some digging. And we're going to have to um, really mine the depths of who we are. And uh, we just, we need to do that. We're called to do that. And a lot of times when we take time to shine the light on these dark places of our life, man, it's not pretty. It just isn't. Um, but... We need to do it. We're called to do it. Uh, Jesus says, be, be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. So we need to do that. We need to take, it's going to take some willingness on our part to address the parts of our life that don't reflect our heavenly Father. We're supposed to look like Dad. And if our lives don't look like our Father, then we need to address that. And so that's what we're going to be doing during this series. Well, last week I told you that we're going to start addressing our thought life um, Today. And that is what we're going to be doing, and I just want to say this first. I have a lot to cover today. Uh, a lot of what we're going to cover today is going to be setting the stage for next week, and all of it is important, but sometimes I find when I have a lot to cover, I will lose people in the process. You guys just kind of check out and start thinking about where you're going to eat at lunch. You've got to beat the Methodists there and the Lutherans to the restaurant and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> But I don't want that to happen today. I would encourage you to lean in on this and to take this in, try to apprehend as much of it as possible so that we can begin to see change happen in our thoughts. Uh, We need to address our thought life, Whitestone. It is in this area, the area of our thought life, where if we're going to be honest, most of us, if not all of us, desperately need to see true transformation happen. Because when we, I tell you, when we start to see transformation happen in our thought life, that's when we're going to start to see true change begin to happen in our lives. Why? Because thoughts are the starting point of so much of the evil in our lives. You know, when you think about it, truth is, it's our thoughts where we first started turning away from God, started in our thought life. You think about Adam and Eve. When Eve sinned against God, the the enemy got her to think different thoughts about God. And when she started to think like that, it led her to sin. So thoughts are so very important, and we need to focus on those first if we want to see transformation in our character. So this is our, I'm going to start out with this. Um, this is the very first and foremost important truth we need to get, is that what we think about will greatly influence how we act. Okay? What we think about will greatly influence how we act. Okay? Uh, I need a volunteer this morning um, Brandy, could I get you to come up here? I hope you're, this really isn't a volunteer when I choose you, but uh, you can come over here if you want. Brandy, I was cleaning my garage, and I ran across this little critter. He's still in there. Yeah, he's there. (laughs) All right, we got him. I want you to put your hands out, and uh, first of all, what do you think it is? You think it's nothing? I do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Is that <laughs> all right? This is <laughs> this has not worked three services in a row. All right. Give it up for Brandy. Although you know what, Brandy made my point. What we think influences how we act. What did she think? That so was nothing. So she was willing to put her hand there. Thank you, Brandy. See, that's very good. First service, I picked someone and I asked her, I said, well, you know, because she just said, put it in there. And so I'm like, well, what did you think it was? She goes, I thought it was a mouse, but I love animals. I'm like, why did I pick you? <laughs> Second service, she, I said, what do you think it was? She goes, I thought it was a mouse. So I was like, I was fine with it. And I'm like, oh my word, what's the ladies whites don't like mice or what's going on? I did it with my office manager on Friday, and I almost had to take her to the emergency room. She was shaking so bad, it scared her, so I thought this was going to work great. But thoughts greatly influence how we act. Now, why is that the case? Because in our thoughts dwell powerful ideas and powerful images and powerful information. Like, for instance, Kathy, on Friday, when I reached in the box and was going to put it in her hands... In her mind, she was having all these powerful ideas, like, oh my word, you got this from your garage, um, and these images of this mouse with huge teeth ready to gnaw on her, on her hand, and, and all these you know information, like, this is, this is crazy. So she didn't want to touch it because of that. And we're gonna look at these three things, idea systems, images, and information, because these, things, these three things play a crucial part in, in how they dictate our actions. Um, not sure if you've ever considered this before, But in in all reality, it is our thought life where we have the most freedom, okay? The ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to choose what we allow our mind to dwell on. Like, for instance, if I got Jordan up here and I uh, had her sit down in a chair and I tied her up and I gagged her and I put a mask on her and I put a bag over her head and I tried to bind her as much as I could, what could I not control? What she was thinking about. Yeah, she could think about whatever she wanted. I could try to influence, but she has that choice. Okay? We have the most freedom in how we think. But no matter how free we think we are, the truth is we all, if we take time to pay attention to this, even in our thinking, we're not completely free. We will find out that our thinking is greatly dominated by the world. And the scary thing is, guys, we don't even realize it. I often tell you that while we live in a physical world... The unseen reality is just as real. It's just as real. We just don't pay attention to it. And because we don't pay attention to it, the kingdom of darkness likes to take advantage of that. You see, guys, we're in a battle. And our battle is not against human beings. I, I know you may think that, especially in our nation. It looks like that because everybody's against each other and we, everybody hates each other. It's, it's not even funny. But the Bible tells us, as followers of Christ, our battle is... Isn't against other human beings. I don't care how different they are, how opinionated they are, our battle is not against them. Our battle is against the unseen kingdom of darkness. Let me show you this passage in Ephesians 6. Paul writes this to the Ephesians church. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Well, guess what? In this unseen battle, guess what the enemy goes after first? Our mind. He wants our mind. Because, guys, listen to this. If he can get us to believe something, we will live it out as if it were true. If the enemy can get us to believe something, we will live it out as if it were true. Uh, For instance, if an enemy can get a little child to believe that he's worthless then that little child will live out his whole life believing it's worthless. He will live as if he were worthless. If if a young little girl believes that she's damaged goods, she will live out her life as if she were damaged goods. The enemy, if he gets us to believe a lie, we will act out as if it were true. And so this battle that's being waged against us is a battle for the mind, for our thoughts. 2 Corinthians Corinthians 4.4 says, the God of this age has what? Blinded the what? The minds of unbelievers. Now, why in the world would he want to blind the minds? Here's why. Look at verse 2 Timothy 224 or 225. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in hope that God would grant them repentance. Now, what is repentance? Repentance is a change of mind. So God would give them a change of mind, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And then once they get the truth, they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. You see, if a person believes a lie from the enemy, the enemy is able to hold them captive to do whatever he wants them to do. It would be like me um, having Alex get up on the stage and I say, Alex, you cannot get off the stage. If you get off the stage, you will die. You will instantly die. It's all danger out there, but you're only safe on the stage. Well, if Alex believes me, she'll stay on the stage for the rest of her life. So in a sense, she will be held a prisoner to the stage. But if God comes and he brings Alex truth and he tells her, no, you're free to go, it's going to set her free from her captivity. And it all started with the mind, what she believed. The battle white Whitestone is for the mind, and the evil rulers and authorities and mighty powers in the unseen world are after our mind. And guys, the primary way that they'll get to our mind is through these ideas, through these images, and through information. Okay, and we're going to talk about these three, but let's start with idea systems. We don't think about this, but we, we actually have idea systems in our culture. And we grow up in this culture, you know, and these idea systems are just ingrained in us, and we don't even realize it. It just kind of happens. Our thinking has been, you know, compromised, and we're not aware of it. And that's why I said earlier, we're not even truly free in our thinking, okay? The enemy has us captive in so many areas of our thoughts, we don't realize it. And he does this through idea systems. Now, idea systems are just basic general-held assumptions of reality. Um, in other words, they're just they're patterns of thinking um, that have developed over time, and they're shared kind of through our society, socially through our society. And that's what an idea system is. Let me kind of give you an example of kind of what an idea system is. Let's say that I were, was going to send you guys to a resort, in this beautiful resort, middle of nowhere, and there's this Big beautiful lake that you have to yourself and it's all inclusive, everything's to be taken care of you, and you can do whatever you want. You can swim, you know, canoe, whatever you want to do, it's all yours. But the last thing I say before I leave is I say, guys, just so you know, the lake is filled with piranha. Okay? Would you guys swim in the lake? Okay. Now Brandy probably would, because whatever, she's tough. But what would the rest of us? No, why? Because what, are we, what do we believe about piranha? The weirdest, so yeah. We, we've seen the movies where it's like you get, it's like dun-dun, dun-dun, and underwater they show the piranha coming, they're like, and the next thing you know, we're just a pile of bones. That's a general held assumption of reality. That's an idea system. Now, let me hear, let me tell you, just, this is for free, um, you can swim in waters with piranha. That, all the waters we swam with in Colombia were filled with piranha, and every once in a while you get bit, but it wasn't like they'd take you down to your skeleton in seconds, okay? <laughs> but that's an idea system. You know it's not one of the main ones I want to talk about, but that's, that's an idea system, it's, and it, causes, it affects how we act. Well, these evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world and these mighty powers are spiritual agencies that primarily work with the idea systems of our culture. And these idea systems affect how we act and behave. Let's talk about some idea systems. First of all, as Americans, a big idea system we've grown up with is freedom. I mean, from the minute we're born as Americans, this is the land of the free. We we buy into the whole idea system of freedom. Okay, Here's another one, the American dream. We buy into the American dream. That is a common idea system held for you know every American. Uh, here's another idea system we don't think about, but masculinity. What makes a man a man? How does a man? How is a man supposed to act? Uh, like, let me ask you this question: Do our men supposed to cry? No. I mean, not men. Even be a real man, you never cry. You never shed a tear. That's you know idea system. Uh, femininity. What makes a woman beautiful according to our idea systems? Well, they got to be such and such a weight, such and such a height. they got to have such color hair. they got to have all these things to make a woman beautiful. That's the idea system. Worthiness. What gives us our worth? Well, our society has idea systems about that. And on and on it goes. There's countless idea systems and these things are all around us and they affect us and they're impactful in how we approach life and a lot of times we don't even realize that they're there they're just cultural baggage that we've picked it up picked up since little kids and we live with them and we act with them without even knowing it and the scary thing is is that these idea systems can be and are manipulated by these evil forces and in fact my opinion it's the way that the kingdom of darkness dominates humanity Simply through ideas. And let's do an exercise just to kind of explain what I'm talking about. Let's talk about the American dream. What is the American dream? What do we got to have? House? Just one car? We've kind of upped it, right? Now it's like two cars. How many kids? Two and a half kids, yep. And then what else? A dog. And the cat people, sure, we'll took a cat in there. Yeah. So, so let's say that's the American dream, okay? you got to have a house, you know, get married, have kids, have a dog or cat, have two cars. That's the American dream, okay? So if a child grows up believing that and thinking that, as soon as he gets out of high school, what does he got to get? He's got to get a job because to get a house, what do you got to have? Money. So his entire life, he's got to chase after what? Money to be able to get the house, and then he 's going to get married, and he 's going to get more money to take care of all the things his wife 's going to want to decorate the house and you know all the living room and stuff, and then he 's going to have kids he 's going to have to get more money to be able to provide for teenagers eating you out a house and home and all that sort of stuff and so his whole life is about what working in money now, in the parable of the sower, Jesus said that the thorny soil is the person who has been deceived by the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. The person thinks that if I have a lot of money, everything's going to be okay. I'll get my American dream. Jesus says if that's what your life's about, you're not going to bear any fruit. The thorns are going to choke you out. And guys, that's, that's just me pursuing the American dream. So do you see how that goes counter what God tells us to do? That's an idea system. Now, let's kind of flip that on its side. Let's just say that I'm after the American dream, but my job, I don't make enough money to be able to buy a house. And I never meet a woman, and I never get married. And so I don't have kids, and I don't have a house, and I live only in an apartment for the rest of my life. According to the American dream, what are you? Yeah, you're a failure. You're not good enough. You didn't make it. And so we walk around in our life feeling like, man, I'm a loser. I'm a failure because I didn't make the American dream. And guys, that is an utter lie because it's an idea system. But the enemy uses it to try to dominate humanity. So hopefully we can see how these idea systems have been used by the enemy to literally dominate all of humanity so that we walk away from what God says is true and we don't hardly even notice it's happening. Okay? All right, let's talk about images. Closely associated with with idea systems are images um, that occupy our mind. Now, images are always concrete. They're not abstract like idea systems. They're concrete. And images are greatly attached to feeling. There's feelings attached to it. Uh, For instance, it's kind of a dumb analogy, but I remember flying back from Columbia when I was like 14 years old. And I'd been in Columbia for six and a half years. And um, I hadn't been in America, and I missed my country, and I, you know, I couldn't wait to be back in America. And I remember when we were landing in Miami, the airline took a big hard bank to the left and was coming down for final approach. And when it turned left, I looked out my window, and here on the ground was this gigantic American flag with lights shining up on it. And when I saw that flag, I was kind of hit with all this emotion, like, man... This is my country. This is the, the country that I've been learning about in my schoolwork and studying all the forefathers. And this is mine. And that, that flag was an image or symbol that represented that. And there was a lot of emotion with it. I, couldn't, I was so excited to be back into my country. And, and that's what images are. They represent idea systems. And many times, guys, these images are adopted by certain generations or ethnic groups or countries, and these images represent that. They represent these certain idea systems of that certain, you know, generation or whatever. So, when we see an image of something, it will naturally cause us to think a certain way about a certain something, and it happens all without thinking. Like, check this out. I'll just do an analogy so you see what I'm talking about. I'm going to show you a few pictures in a few seconds, and you're going to look at these pictures, and instantly, you are going to think of a time period and a bunch of idea systems that are attached to that time period. Okay, you ready for this? Look at these. This is my graduation picture. <laughs> okay, tell me, what do you think of when you see these pictures? Sixties. Okay, what was the idea systems in the sixties? Free, Free love. What else? Peace. Hippie. Marijuana. Marijuana. What else? I can't remember. What's that? <laughs> What's that? Okay, so you see what I'm talking about? You look at these pictures and instantly all these idea systems come to mind. Somebody in second service said that's, or first service said, it was the 60s where ladies stopped wearing dresses and started wearing pants. Is that true? Well, let's just say it is. I'm on the live stream here. Very good. But yeah, there was another idea system or whatever. But that's, you guys see these images and that. Let's do another thing here and I want you to see this. Why are you doing that? It's just images. You see how it's attached to emotion? Kind of weird, isn't it? Now, when you see these images, what do you think of? Hate. What else? Evil. What else? Discrimination, somebody said. Violence. Nazis. Racism. All that stuff is attached to these images. Now, we can take that down. Images are huge at captivating our mind. And you know, Jesus understood this, didn't he? He understood the significance of images, and He carefully chose an image that brilliantly conveys Himself and His message. And can anybody tell me what that image is? A cross. Exactly. Right there. When you look at the image of a cross, what idea systems come to mind? Salvation. Forgiveness. Sacrifice. Peace. Love. Healing. What? Faith. 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 Purple? What? I, say it louder. Truthfulness. Truthfulness. What else? I thought I heard frog second service. So <laughs> Okay, so the point is you look at this symbol, this image right here of this symbol, and all these idea systems come to mind and are attached to it. And Jesus knew that. Now, guys, we… We put a a cross on our stage so that when you're worshiping and you're singing these songs to your Heavenly Father and to Jesus, you can look at that cross and say, you know what? Yeah, Jesus, I'm singing about love, and you demonstrated your love for us on that cross. You, while we were still sinners, while we were your enemies, God, you sent your son to come rescue us, and he had to pay that penalty on that cross. And while you're worshiping, you can look at that, and those emotions come up with that. We have a cross on the stage so that when you're praying, you can look at that cross and you say, Jesus, thank you. It was because of what you did on the cross that I can even talk to God, that I have a relationship with God. We have a cross in the stage so that during communion, you can look up at that cross, and as we're partaking, the, the, the bread, which represents his body broken for us, and the, the juice, which represents his blood shed for us, you can look at that cross and say, he did it on that cross for me. An image can convey all those emotions and all that stuff. That's how powerful the image of the cross is. Images are powerful. They cause us to think about certain things simply by seeing them. And like I said earlier, they can often get used by the kingdom of darkness to take hold of our mind. Now, the third thing I mentioned that affects our thoughts, we've talked about idea systems and images, but I want to talk about information. Now, stick with me on this because this is so very important. Information begins our transformation. Do you hear that? Information begins our transformation. I should probably correct that. Correct information begins our transformation. Here's why. It's because information produces a belief. And that belief ends up producing an action. And that action as it happens over and over begins to form a formation. It begins to cause a formation. Now, So information, just follow that process there. Information leads to belief, which leads to action, which leads to formation. Let's say that out loud. Let's read out loud together. Ready? Information leads to a belief, which leads to action, which leads to formation. Somebody after second service came up to me, a young girl. She says, you know, Luke, I was thinking about what you said, and she goes, I've never thought about that before. But she goes, then it suddenly hit me that it's right in the Word, in formation, when you're getting stuff fed to you, you're in formation. You are being formed. It might not be good. It might not be bad. But you're being formed with all the stuff you're being fed. You see what I'm saying there? Information. So, I don't know if that makes sense in it, but I thought that's pretty incredible that she caught that. That's why it's so important, guys, listen to me here, that we have the correct information. Because the wrong information will lead to the wrong belief system, which leads to the wrong actions, which then leads to the what? The wrong what? Formation. Exactly. And that's why Jesus tells us to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I've commanded. Guys, we're supposed to be going into our circles of influences and and teaching people, sharing with people the truth of Jesus Christ. They need the right information because if they don't have it, they're going to end up in a bad place. They're going to to be ruined. Look at what Romans said. It says, how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? People need the right information. Because think about it. Where does belief start from? It starts with information. And if we have incorrect information, our belief will be wrong, which leads to wrong actions, which leads to wrong formation. Guys, I know this is just utter simplicity, but without the right information, it is impossible to live out correctly. Failure to know what God is like and what His law requires destroys the soul. It ruins society. It leads people to eternal ruin. If you don't know what God wants for you to do and doesn't want for you to do, I'm sorry, Whitestone, but we're toast if we're in that position. Look at these verses in Hosea. He says, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. People without understanding will come to ruin. I want you to look at those two verses and tell me what's the outcome of a lack of knowledge and lack of understanding. Destruction and ruin. Ruin. Now think about that. The more you take away the correct information from a nation, the more that nation will fall into ruin. And guys, guess what? The enemy knows that. And the enemy in all the kingdom of darkness is doing its best to hide as much of the truth as possible and replace it with anything but the truth because it knows that if we don't have the truth, the truth can't set us what? Free. Free. Does anybody know, I I don't know if the younger generation knows, but do, do we remember what happened in 1963 in our nation? What happened in our public schools? Prayer and the Bible was taken out. Okay? It was removed from our public schools. Now, who do you think was behind that? The enemy. Yeah, remember, our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against the enemy. Now, why would he want the Bible and prayer being taken out of public schools? Because he wants to keep people from what? Hearing the truth. Because if they have the wrong information, they will live out incorrectly. And it leads to a nation that is in ruin. Um, not sure if you knew this or not, but in the older days, I was just reading about this recently, but in most communities, the sermon... Was written about in Monday's newspaper. Is that not crazy? That's amazing to me. That somebody would go and listen to the sermon, and then the next day in the Monday's newspaper was like, Yeah, the pastor talked about this, lay out all the points and everything, and would lay out the entire sermon. Think about that. The truth was taught, it was easily accessible, it was shared and reshared, but guys, not anymore. The enemy has done a great job at hiding the truth and twisting the truth and replacing the truth with all sorts of ideas and falsehoods that might sound good to humanity, but it's the wrong information. And guys, we see the brutal consequences of it. And this is the messed up condition we find ourselves in this nation. We've taken the correct information about God and we've put it away. And like it says in Romans, we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And we wonder why we're in the mess we're in. So hopefully, you're seeing how the enemy has done a brilliant job of trying to dominate our thoughts. He does it through faulty idea systems that we bought into hook, line, and sinker. He does it through images that conjure up feelings that lead us away from God. And he uses wrong information, information that is completely false that leads to our destruction. The enemy is doing his best to destroy our thought life. But Whitestone, we can't let that happen. We can't let the enemy take away our ability to think. True spiritual formation requires thinking. Thinking. Just plain thinking, guys, kicks out the stool from these false idea systems and images and information. It reveals their falseness. All you got to do is think about it. But it's crazy how we don't think anymore. We just kind of walk around, around in this numbness. We, we come home from work, and we sit in front of this tube, and it feeds us information. We hop on a car, we turn on the radio, and it just feeds us information. We put earphones on, and it feeds us information. We're just constantly just taken in. But we don't take the time to think. We can't be like that. So we must think the mind is an incredible gift from God and we must make sure that we undo the damage the enemy has tried to do with it. It's a key part to our spiritual formation in godly character. And it's going to take effort on our part. It just is. And so guys, if we're going to prevent the enemy from ruining our mind, we need to quickly understand in a very simple way, it's a very crude way, but how the mind works. And I really think that this crude explanation will help us um, in our journey here. Let me, let me try to explain. The mind, whether you know this or not, our mind stores information two ways, either logically or experiential. Okay, does that make sense? We take information either through logical information being given to us or experiential information. Now, when we receive logical information, it for the most part isn't emotionally charged. Okay. Like, for instance, I tell you something, you hear the information, and your brain files it away in a little information file. Okay? Now, sermons are logical presentations of the truth. I'm presenting you truthful information, and your mind is taking it in. Okay, there's very little emotion. You know, half the time you're sleeping, so there's no emotion at all going on with that. But that's logical. Okay, that's logical information. But when we receive experiential information, it almost always is, is emotionally charged. And when it's emotionally charged, it's usually filled with a lot of feeling. Let me give you an example of this. Let's say that you're walking along um, in your yard and this poisonous snake rears up and it bites you in the leg. And you. I mean, you hobble to the house, you call 911, they come rush you, they make it to get you to the hospital, and you are on the brink of death, and they're, you know, having to, you know, bring you back, and and you almost lose your leg, it turns black and blue, and they're sucking the poison out and all this stuff. And and after about a month of being in the hospital, you finally are able to leave, but there's a big scar on your leg and you have a limp, all because of a snake bite. It was one of the most painful experiences you've ever been through. Let's say... That one bright sunny afternoon, you're walking along in your yard, and a little harmless garter snake comes riding, running through the grass. What are you going to (laughs) do? You're going to run for your life, okay? And now, did you have to think about that? No, you didn't go, oh, that's a snake. I was bit by a snake once and almost died. What should I do here? I should probably run. No, your brain went, been here, done that, get out of here, and you run for your life. Why? Because you took that information experientially, and it was emotionally charged, and it stored that information, and it's in there. It's a little bit like just recently I was at a wedding, Echo Stanky and Jeff Stanky's son's wedding. And after, you know how after the wedding ceremony, there's that period of time before the reception start, and, you know, you're kind of sitting around talking with friends, whatever, and those guys are walking around with the little platters, you know, with the little food on it. And you're kind of walking along with them, kind of trying to pluck stuff off and trying to act like you're the first time. You have oh, let's try this, you know, and it's the eighth time you've taken it. Well, I'm there with, you know, the shavers, and we're sitting there talking, and this guy walks up with these little deep-fried pastry little dealies, and Irene goes, look, you should try one of these. So I'm like, all right, and I had a drink in one hand. I was kind of holding something else in this hand, so I didn't really have much to do it, and so... Like, I didn't want to get out of my suit, so it felt cool to the touch, so I'm like, I'm just going to put it in my mouth. So I put it in my mouth, and I took a bite, and it squirted this, like, hot fluid all over. I'm like, ah, sweet daddy! And I'm chucking it, you know, trying to keep my mouth in. Experiential. Five minutes later, the guy showed back up with the little pastries, and this time, guess how I grabbed the pastries? You know, very careful, because I learned... I stored that information through experiential. (laughs) Experiential information is a powerful thing in our lives. Experience is a great teacher. And guys, guess what? Enemy knows that. That's often why the enemy will go after little kids. And when little kids are growing up and they go through, like, different traumatic experiences, the enemy will plug in his lie. When something happens in the schoolyard and somebody says something mean to that little child, the enemy will plug in his lie and say, yeah, you're worthless. And if that little kid believes that, he will live it out as if it's true. There was a person who came out to me first service, and he says, you know, I remember I was a little kid, and somebody came out to me and said, you're ugly. And he says, and I've never forgotten that, and I've lived my whole life with that feeling, that lie. Didn't deserve my wife, because I'm ugly. The enemy does that. And I remember one time when I was a little kid, a guy came up and says, Luke, can you, you can try this right now, can you wrap your hand around your wrist and touch your fingers? And I'm like, no. And he's like, that means you're going to be fat when you're older. And I'm like, really? As stupid as that is, when I started to gain weight, I'm like, he was right. So, <laughs> sucker. Experience. Scripture says, do not be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Mind. We have to renew our mind, Whitestone. We have to. Now, because our mind receives information these two ways, through logical and experiential, then renewing it is going to require renewal in both ways. It is important that we begin this transformation of our mind through these two avenues, through experiential and logical. So that means we need to receive logical information. It's so important, third service, that you are feeding your mind with truth, that you're digging into the Word of God and you're studying it and you're, you're reading books that help explain the Word of God so that you can live it. And I'm not just because I'm a pastor, I'm not just saying this, but you need to come to church on Sundays and worship with your brothers and sisters and praise your Lord and Savior. You need to listen to the sermons and grow from the truth that's being presented. Logical information is key to our formation. But we also need to receive truth experientially as well. And so, that being said, there are certain tried and true disciplines that we can put into practice. Now that word practice means experiential. We're practicing it. We're put in practice. And these things are going to aid us in the transformation of our thought that's going to lead us into the mind of Christ, which we're all supposed to have. And that simply put is spiritual disciplines. And I talk about spiritual disciplines all the time. Spiritual disciplines simply put are activities that are within our power that enable us to do what we cannot do on our own effort. Okay, in other words, it's what we're, we can do certain things in our life through these spiritual disciplines that allows the grace of God to do things in our life that we can't do. So it just it just provides fertile ground for grace to work in our life. Because the truth is, we can't transform these ideas and images that are in our mind by direct effort. We can't. We need God's grace. But as we adopt these certain practices into our life, slowly and indirectly. The grace of God is going to produce the effect that we desire in our minds. And in my opinion, the most obvious spiritual discipline for our mind is, guess what? Memorization. Memorization. And I know all of you guys are going, oh, brother. I get it. No discipline, in my opinion, is more important and effective in the quest for mind renewal than memorization it's the primary discipline for thought life many of you guys know this verse blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers but his delight is in the law of the lord and on his law he what meditates, meditates. how long day. day and night day and night day and night you do that you're like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in the season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever you do prospers. That's what meditation on the Word of God does. But you know what? To meditate on the Word of God, it needs to be up there. It needs to be memorized. We need to know these passages backward and forward and upside and down like the back of our hand constantly turning them over in our mind. And I know this may seem difficult, but guys, we need to memorize passages, not just random verses here and there. Passages. Passages have a way of infiltrating our mind far better than just random verses. And you may be sitting there going, "Well, Luke, I can't memorize like that. I assure you, you can. God made your mind to be able to do that. It's just a muscle that you have to work. And as you do it, you're going to find that that spiritual needle of your spiritual compass is going to start pointing more and more north. And more and more, the Spirit of God is going to quietly and powerfully do His work in your life. We need to memorize Whitestone. Here's another effective means to mind renewal. I know it seems silly, but it's just simply put, garbage in, garbage out. If we just, if we look at this as, as our mind, if this is our mind, all of our mind, whether we like to admit it, it has garbage in it. And so we're supposed to be renewing our mind, right? So we're supposed to be taking the garbage out and replacing it with truth. But what happens if we're taking trash out and we're putting it in at the same time? And we're watching all these cruddy shows and we're listening to all this stuff and we're looking at horrible things and we're taking stuff out while we're putting stuff in. What's happening to our mind? Nothing. It's staying the same. Now... What we put into our mind depends on who? Us. Us. There's effort on our part. God's not going to intervene and say, I'm not going to let you watch that. I'm not going to let you do that. I'm not going to let you listen to that. No, it's our choice. We have effort to involve ourselves in. But stop filling your mind with crud if we're trying to renew it. It's not going to get anywhere. Another effective means we have available to use are images. We just talked about them images and symbols, being able to keep the Lord before our minds constantly. I'll tell you, third service, it is a difficult endeavor. It is hard to do because our mind is it's pummeled by the physical realm. We're constantly barraged by what we see and what we hear. And so to focus on the unseen realm takes a lot of practice, and it takes a lot of work. You know, Philippians says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what are we supposed to do? Think about such things. Think about them. Well, that sounds great, but how? Well, images and symbols can help us with that. We should be placing symbols and images in very conspicuous spots for us to to look at and go, oh, yeah, that's right. That reminds me of God's presence. Oh, yeah. Put a verse, hanging a verse on a wall or putting a verse on your steering wheel or on your mirror so you look looking like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's steering your mind to think about such things. Now, I'll just say this to you. When you set these things up in your life in different conspicuous spots, move it around from time to time because what you'll find is it'll just become part of the scenery. It'll just become part of the you won't even notice it's there anymore. You're like, oh, yeah, I haven't seen that sign in six months. Kind of like my house. There's like a wall that needs drywall done on it. I haven't seen it for six years. It's just <laughs> it's part of the scenery. Visitors come over and go, oh, my word, what is that? I'm like, oh, that's right. But we'll do that. If, we, if you hang things in certain places, you won't start to see them. So move them around. Put them in spots where it causes your mind to think. <clears throat> Another thing we need to do, guys, is study the life of other saints that have gone on before us. Um, Study their lives. Don't just focus on what they did. Focus on how they did it. What did they incorporate into their lives to experience the fruit that they did? And always remembering that, guys, these people weren't perfect. They They didn't always get everything right, but we can learn from them. Okay? And then lastly, I just want to say this to you. You need each other. You you just do. You need each other. You need to surround yourself with other disciples who are on the same path to transformation of thought life. Help each other. Give suggestions to each other. Encourage each other. This is is absolutely huge in our life of transformation. You know, a group of guys meet every other Tuesday at the Quarry group to, to study the Word of God and to encourage each other and to build one another up. I encourage you men, be part of that. You need each other. Whitestone, you need to hear this from me. I need you. And you need me. And so let's together take on this mind of Christ. And let's together have transformation in our thought life. Amen? Amen. Here's our homework for this week. Let's just assume that you need to buy a journal. Okay, I've taken it (laughs) off there. But number one, I want you to memorize the Lord's Prayer. Now, many of you guys grew up with it. How many of you guys grew up with the Lord's Prayer so you have memorized So there it is, first part of your homework's done. The rest of us, we have to learn it, okay? Memorize it. Don't just memorize it, but I want you guys, when you wake up in the morning, I want you to pray through that prayer. Now, don't just quote it as if, you know, by rote. I want you to pray through it. Say, Our Father, which art in heaven. Yeah, God, you are in heaven. You're in the unseen realm, but I know that you're there. Hallowed be your name, You know, make it personal. Pray it through with your life. May your will be done and your kingdom come in my life as it is in heaven. Pray through that. Then when you go to sleep at night, pray through it again. Pray through that Lord's Prayer. Memorize it. Think about it throughout the day. And then thirdly, set up either verses or symbols of images of some kind in conspicuous places to remind you of God's presence with you. Okay? Think of creative places to put it where it'll jog your mind to go, that's right, God, you're with me. I'm living ever present with you. Amen? Amen? Guys, I love you so very much. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for my Whitestone family. They are some of the greatest people on this earth. God, thank you that we get to do life together, that we get to run after you together. God, we desperately want godly character. We want to look like your son, Jesus. We want to take on his image. And we want to reflect you, our Heavenly Father. And we need you, Holy Spirit, to do this in us. So we pray for your grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Guys, love you so much. Have an awesome week. We'll see you next Sunday.